When we meet for the first time with a couple that is preparing to get married, uh, we have some forms we have to go through, and there's about 26, 27 questions we have to ask other than name, address, phone number, when were you born, where were you baptized, there's all these additional questions. And they all have to do with some point in canon law regarding marriage because we have to determine whether the couple is free to get married. Uh, you know, obviously, if one of them has been married before, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. Uh, but there are also other things. Um, always joke, one of the questions, uh, are you and your spouse related in any way by law or blood? And I usually say, well, we have to ask that question because we're so close to Kentucky. And depending on where a person is from, I might substitute Alabama or Mississippi or... But the reason we ask the question, uh, while it sounds kind of obviously kind of funny to our ears, but a lot of cultures, uh, marriages are still arranged to this very day. In India, marriages are still arranged. A lot of parts of Africa, marriages are still arranged. Uh, many parts of the world, especially again in India, the groom meets his bride on the day of the wedding, you know, really a distance from, you know, what we're used to. And they believe in marrying within the kinship group, or we can use the word tribe. So in some cultures, there's going to be a chance that they're related somehow. We just have to make sure that there's a certain distance uh, in that relationship. It, but there are other questions as well. And we separate the couple, we talk to the groom first, and then to the bride, they all get the same questions. And one of those is, does your intended know everything about you he or she needs to know to make a good decision about marrying you? In other words, is there some big secret that you haven't shared yet? And, and almost inevitably, both of the man and the woman would both say, oh, she knows everything about me. You know, and the bride will say, you know, she, he knows everything about me. So, okay, you know, we get back together. Now, here's a little bit of a side, and Deacon Paul can appreciate this. The very last thing they have to sign is, I have answered all the questions truthfully, yes or no. Then they have to sign. And always, you know, say, okay, sign here. Now, if you lied, Call me later and tell me. And there's been a few surprises out there that they did call back to Father, there's one thing I didn't say. Uh, we, you know, we always work through that. I haven't had a marriage stopper yet. Uh, close, but no stopper. But I tell the couple, said, you know, I asked you this question, and both of you said, oh, yes. She knows everything about me, or he knows everything about me. And I just want to tell you right now, don't be disappointed, but you're going to have the most boring marriage that has ever existed. Because even though you think you know each other, you know a lot, but you don't know everything about each other. Sometimes that's because the individual doesn't know everything about themselves. They're still learning about themselves. They're still having self-revelations. But the, you know, I've had any number of couples 
that have been married any number of years, 30, 40, 50 years. You know, and I've heard them say one to another, either because somebody did something really, really good or really, really bad. You know, the other ones say, after all these years, you still surprise me. And that's true. You know, as people grow, as you have life experiences, you do, as a couple, continue to surprise each other. Parents, by and large, you know your children better than they know themselves. But occasionally, they're going to do something that just absolutely, you know, makes your socks roll up and down your legs. You know, I can't believe you did that. That, that, You know, uh, your father and I are so surprised that you did that. But sometimes it's a good thing. You know, the student that has forever struggled in math or English, and they come home with an A and they're so surprised, you know, and you're surprised, pleased, you know, but, but happily surprised. So revelation continues to go on in our lives. We get into this contradiction in, in the gospel this morning where Jesus shows up and John the Baptist looks at the crowd and tells everybody, hey, everybody, this is the one I've been talking about. This is the one who has coming after me. Then he said, I did not know him. But the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. And then he says again, I did not know him. Why the contradiction? John and Jesus are cousins. John clearly spent some amount of his life living with the Essenes. The Essenes are the ones, Dead Sea Scrolls. They are basically a monastic Jewish community. Very strict in their religious observance. And the Essenes just weren't out everywhere. It's like a, a monastery. They were all in you know, this particular place. Clearly, John spent time with them because when we read the things he has to say, it's right out of their playbook. Jesus could have well spent time with them or an inordinate amount of time with John because even some of the things Jesus says that are outside the thinking of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it came from the Essenes. So they had a huge influence, definitely on John the Baptist and somewhat on Jesus. That's why those Dead Sea Scrolls are so important to us. John knew Jesus as his cousin. He knew Jesus as an itinerant preacher, if you will. Will I mean, he knew everything about Jesus. Or so he thought. I did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It had evidently never occurred to John that Jesus was the Messiah. And to say he did not know him is an existential kind of statement. I really didn't know his true character. I really didn't know his true identity. Until through action, it was revealed to me. So it's fair for him to say, you know, I really didn't know him. I thought I did, but I didn't. Last Sunday, we celebrated the epiphany. But this is another epiphany. 
when it really is revealed to John just who Jesus is. And then we'll quickly get some passages where John sends some of his disciples to see Jesus and see what he's all about, trying to usher his disciples away from himself, but over to Jesus. But, you know, there is always the perennial question, baptism is for the forgiveness of sin. We say that. But we usually say baptism is for the forgiveness of the sin, period. But baptism has another purpose. And it's that other purpose for which Jesus was baptized. Baptism is always a sacrament of identity. It gives us an identity. At baptism, our parents give us a name. At baptism, we take on the name of Christian. Baptism gives us an identity. And at the very beginning of our passage, John gave us the identity. He didn't quite understand it, and of course the gospel writer's not exactly writing, you know, exactly as a conversation flowed, but John identifies him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, that's more than a mere metaphor. Every day in the temple, first thing in the morning, the last thing at night, the priest in the temple would sacrifice a lamb for the forgiveness of the sins of Israel. Every day, sacrifice a lamb in the morning and at night for the forgiveness of sin. And then John tells us, and of course the listeners, you know, this was not lost on them. Behold, the Lamb of God. Not that thing in the temple. Not that that baby sheep in the temple. This is the Lamb of God. Of God, And what's important to notice or, or to pay attention to for them is Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when we read the Gospel of John, we need to remember John's not trying to give us the history of Jesus Christ. John is trying to, he's doing theology, and he's trying to explore the meaning of things that have already been said about him, the meaning of Lamb of God. Obviously, he's referring to the temple, that lamb that's offered twice a day. But this is the lamb of God. We don't have to do morning and evening anymore. We offered the lamb. Jesus Christ offered himself as the lamb. So it's not us who sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins anymore. It's God himself offers himself as the lamb for the forgiveness of sins. We don't, you know, sort of rendered the Jewish priesthood unnecessary for the Christians. We want to develop that relationship with God. We want to come to understand the identity of God and of Christ, the Holy Spirit, every day. And hopefully we can continue to say throughout our lives, God He continually surprises me.